Well, thank you so much, Duke, for the opportunity to deliver a NEO talk. Apparently, last month when you and I were chatting about C.S. Lewis, I mentioned his book, A Grief Observed, which he wrote just three months after his wife died. And apparently that uh, hit a nerve for some of your viewers, particularly for those who might be struggling with grief about losing their fathers. So um, Duke has asked me to come back and expound a little bit on the topic of grief and really how timely when we see some of the images coming out of the Middle East right now. We see grief everywhere, raw, angry, primal, terrible grief. And um, wave after wave of it, literally uh, in, on an individual level, on a collective level. And so while no one has all the answers regarding grief, I certainly don't. For instance, why is it so painful? And when will, it, when will it end? I do want to share three realities about the topic of grief today. So the first reality is you're not alone in your grief. And second, your grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, which is death. And third, as a Christian, you will grieve differently. So you're not alone in your grief. Your grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And as Christians, we grieve differently. So first, you're not alone in your grief. Now, when C.S. Lewis's wife died, just three, uh, after three years of marriage, here's what he wrote. Lewis wrote, No one ever told me grief felt so much like fear. Meanwhile, where is God? Go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. Now, everyone who grieves has felt that way. Grief is universal, and grief does not discriminate. As humans, we were created to love, primarily to love God, secondarily to love people. And so when someone dies, naturally, grief kicks in. And grief can seem relentless. It's not only that you're grieving, it's the fact that you keep thinking about the fact that you're grieving. And as you go out through your day, you're going through the day thinking about how much you're going to grieve. And grief can be, feel like a weight, a wet, heavy coat that you're wearing that you just can't seem to take off. So here is Psalm 130 from the message version of the Bible. Here's what it says. Help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cries for help. Listen to my cries for mercy. That's what it feels like to be a grieving person. That's what it sounds like to be a grieving person. But here's the silver lining. When we give a voice to our grief and we get it out, we give our grief a dignity and empowerment to our suffering. So there's no need to ever be embarrassed by grief. And you have to... There's no need to be embarrassed about locking it up, shutting it away, because grief is a lived experience for every single person. Now, we live in the social media age where people's Instagrams and Facebook pages are fraudulently pass, uh, plastered with people living their best lives now. And as a minister and as a priest, I can tell you that every single person that you meet, every single person is struggling with something every single one. And a lot of their struggles have to do with grief. Grief is everywhere 
and grief is an epidemic. So first, you need to know you're not alone in your grief. And second, you need to know your grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, death. So for men, we've been told that if we cry, it's a sign of weakness. We're supposed to be strong and keep a stiff upper lip. Now, I'd mentioned it earlier in my conversation with Duke that my own father died not that long ago, a few years ago. He had a heroic fight with cancer. He fought it for many years, and then he went into hospice, where he lasted about 10 days, and we all knew what was coming. So for me, losing my dad was a double blow, because my dad was my best friend, and my dad was also my dad. So in a sense, I lost two people. So I'm the oldest of three, and I had to be strong for my mom. I got up uh, in front of a packed church and eulogized my father the very best that I could. And two days after his funeral, I was right back at my desk at work, not having cried one time. And about three months after that, I was out on my deck cooking cheeseburgers, and I just broke down crying, raking sobs crying. And my wife ran out to me. She said, what is the matter? And I said, I miss my dad. And I felt guilty for crying. I felt weak for crying. Now, at that time in my life, I was a lawyer. I was a really tough lawyer. I'm a former Syracuse University basketball player back in the Big East days when if there wasn't blood on the ground, you weren't fouled. And I'm in the gym every day, and I'm pretty sure I can still handle my business if necessary. Um, and I felt guilty for showing emotion for my dad crying. But he, for, for my crying. But here's where I'm wrong. Here's where I was wrong. And here's how I know it's okay for men to cry. And it's the shortest verse in the New Testament, John 11:35. Jesus wept. Jesus cried at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Now, as a man, you should never feel bad or feel sorry for something that Jesus did. If it's okay for Jesus to cry, then it's okay for you to cry. And from then on, if I felt like crying, if I was just driving down the road and I felt sad about my dad, you know what? I just pulled over to the side of the road and I cried. Anytime I felt like crying about my dad, I just did it. So when we think it's wrong to cry, our grief is going to be bottled up and it will fester. And that's not good. Crying is an emotional release that leads to healing. It's like lancing a boil. And I mentioned earlier that when we grieve, we get it out in the open and we give a dignity to our suffering. Once you get it out, and this is something too important to remember, getting it out looks different for some people than it does for others. But once you get it out, the healing process can begin. Now I'm giving, guys, if you're watching, I'm giving you permission to get with your wives and grieve. Or I'm giving you permission to get with some trusted brothers and friends Grieve. Get it out. And then the healing process will begin. Here's why the healing process begins after you get it out. Because you can't see anything properly when your eyes are blurred, when they're filled with tears. Healing will begin after you get it out because while you're getting it all out, you're kind of like that drowning person that can't be rescued because you're too busy grabbing on to the lifeguard. And so that's why I'm stressing the importance to you of getting out your grief. Now, I'm certainly not saying that once you get it out, your grief will go away. That's not going to happen. 
Just like when you lance a boil, there's always going to be a scar, but over time, your, the intensity of your grief will dissipate and you'll put yourself in a position for healing from your grief. Then you let the great physician, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth does what he, do best, he does best, healing. Now, I know some of you are saying, Joe, you're saying my grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation, death. But death isn't abnormal, Joe. It's inevitable. Everybody dies. And that's true. Everybody does die. But death is still an abnormal situation. And here's what I mean by that. Let's go back to the Gospel of John when Jesus' friend Lazarus has died. Jesus hears about it. He eventually heads to Bethany where this has happened. And as Jesus is approaching Bethany, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus's brother, comes out to him and Jesus sees her weeping. And Jesus sees her friends weeping. John's Gospel 11.33 tells us he was deeply moved in his spirit and deeply troubled. Now, what the Greek tells us is that Jesus was moved with indignation. He was moved with anger. Why was Jesus angry when Lazarus died? Why was Jesus' response to Lazarus' death anger? It's because death was never meant to be our natural state. Death was never something we were created to experience. At the Garden of Eden, death, through sin, came in as an intruder. Through de- Death, through sin, has blemished and marred our creation. Death, through sin, is horrible in Jesus' eyes. And looking at his friend Lazarus, he knew that the cost that would have to be paid to eradicate the eternal effects of death was his own death on the cross. That's why Jesus was angry and indignant at the abnormal condition of his dead friend Lazarus. But the great news is that Jesus has defeated death, our final enemy, Death never has the last word. Isaiah tells us that Jesus has swallowed up death forever. And in eternity, that abnormal state of death and decay that each of us have to suffer will be replaced with new bodies in eternity. Behold, he makes all things new. And our perishable bodies will be clothed with the imperishable restoring us to an even better state than we were in Eden. So the first reality is you're not alone in your grief. The second reality is that your grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal condition. And now the third reality of grief is, as Christians, our grief is different. St. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now what Paul is saying is, yes, Christians grieve. Of course we grieve, but we grieve differently. Um, We have a salve that we can rub into our grief, and that's called the Christian hope. Now, in our world, when we think of the word hope, we have kind of this lofty expectation of the word hope. You know what? I really hope the weather is nice tomorrow. But when the Bible speaks of hope, 
it uses the Greek word elpizo, which means something very different. Different. It means that we have confidence, that we can have trust. So when Christians say that they have hope, it means that they have confidence and trust that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. Now, one thing about grief is there will always be people who mean well, and they'll say something like this to make you feel better. They might say, well, God needed another angel. But here's something you need to know about your father or whoever it is that you're grieving. And this is part of our Christian hope. They were never created to be an angel in heaven. None of us as human beings are destined to be angels. Your father or that person that you are grieving is right now greater than the angels. They are the son or daughter of the king. And they are, as Revelation says, casting their crowns down before the Lord. Your father, your mother, your child, your friend, whoever it is that you are grieving is not looking uh, up at the angels. The angels are looking up to them. Now, here's a second thing about Christian hope. Your father, your mother, your child, your friend, whoever you're grieving, knows more about Jesus right now than all the greatest pastors and theologians and their theology degrees in the world right now combined. That's because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that here on earth, we currently see in a mirror dimly, but someday we will see face to face. What that means is because we human beings are marred by our sinful condition, what we know about God, what we know about ourselves, and what we know about the world is seen dimly. We don't see right now the full picture of reality around us. But for the person that you are grieving, they see Jesus face to face. Your father, your mother, your child, whatever it is you're grieving, they radiate the glory, the love, the presence, the weightiness of God. That's who they are right now. And because of that, and this might be hard for you to hear, even if they could, they would not come back to us on earth right now. Instead of coming back, they are waiting for you to join them in God's perfect timing. Until then, your father, your mother, your child, your friend, whatever it is that you're grieving, would not want you to be consumed with your grief. They would want you to go on and live your life. Now, one more thing about Christian hope. Those who, are grie- uh, you know, those who we are grieving are not alone. They have joined the mighty host of all those who have gone on before. You will see them again. And when you see them, you will know them, and they will know you. And so because as Christians we grieve differently, that means as Christians we have to live differently. And here's how we can do that. We live in a world that's heavily invested in keeping us from thinking about our own mortality. The average person checks their cell phone every four minutes, and I have before me a buffet of distractions. Facebook, Twitter, GIFs, Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, so that when death does intrude on our lives, and it will intrude on our lives, most people are unprepared for it, and they lack the skills to cope and manage grief. All the new apps, all the new shows, 
all the FOMO, our fear of missing out, are distractions that keep us from the thoughts of our inescapable mortality and finitude. We welcome anything that relieves us of the feeling of the weight of our own mortality. And that's a shame because here's where Christians are supposed to live differently. God has put eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11. And that is a wonderful gift. St. Augustine said that eternity is the place that neither begins with the close of yesterday nor ends with the beginning of tomorrow. Eternity is the eternal day. God has made us to look forward to our forever with him. So here are some of the things I would recommend that we do every day. We should remember first our own mortality. We should remember this world is not our home. We should remember that what we do today will have a direct impact on the world to come. We should remember that our lives are being watched by God and the only appraisal of my life that matters is his. Remember the line from that famous poem, Only One Life That Goes, Only One Life Which Two Shall Pass, Only What's Done For Christ Will Last. And finally, we should remember that there are only two destinations, heaven and hell, and that every single person that you know is going to end up in one of the two. By doing and living these things daily, we're still going to grieve death when it intrudes on our lives, but we'll know that we're not alone. And we'll know that our grief is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Our grief will look differently because we know that our Christian hope tells us grief has a bottom, but our heights are boundless because of our faith that gives us an assurance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen, eternity with Jesus and those who have gone on before. Thank you very much and God bless each of you.